Right on radio. Right on radio. Fall Volantis, Satan and his minions have been working tirelessly to end all goodness on this planet. But God and the Brotherhood of Light have put together their own plan to defeat the dark side. Throughout history, many prophets have come forth to speak of the coming golden age of humanity. This truth was made known only to fall silent on the deaf ears of the ignorant masses. But change is on the horizon. The power grab of the elite is coming to an end. With all their power and money, the bankers thought themselves to be above the law, but cracks were now appearing in their foundations. Angry Americans were beginning to fight back. A class action lawsuit was brewing which would threaten to change the balance of power. This change began in the mid-1970s when the Federal Land Bank illegally foreclosed on farmers' mortgages all throughout the Midwest. In each of these cases, the farmers were defrauded by the banks with the approval of the Federal Reserve System. These court cases would eventually become known as the Farmers' Claims Program. In 1978, an elderly ranch farmer in Colorado purchased a farm with a loan from the Federal Land Bank. After he died, the property was passed on to his son, Roy Swassinger Jr., who was a retired military general. Soon after, a federal land bank officer and federal marshal appeared on his property and informed him the bank was foreclosing on his farm and to vacate within 30 days. Without his knowledge, his deceased father signed a stipulation which reverted the property back to the federal land bank in the event of the borrower's death. Outrage, Roy Swassinger filed a class action lawsuit in the Denver federal court system. But the case didn't go very far and the suit was dismissed from filing incorrectly. This began Roy Swassinger's investigation into the inner workings of the banking system. In 1982, he was given a contract by the U.S. Senate and later the Supreme Court to investigate banking fraud. But because he was under a strict non-disclosure order, he was not allowed to tell the media what he discovered. In the late 80s, he began sharing his knowledge with others, including high-ranking military personnel, who helped bring about a class action lawsuit against the federal government. The first series of these lawsuits began in the mid-1980s, when William and Shirley Baskerville of Fort Collins, Colorado, were involved in a bankruptcy case with First Interstate Bank of Fort Collins, who was trying to foreclose on their farm. At a restaurant, their lawyer informed him that he would no longer be able to help them and walked off. Overhearing the conversation, Roy Swassinger offered his advice on how to appeal the case in bankruptcy court. So in 1987, they filed an appeal with the United States District Court in Colorado. On November 3, 1988, the Denver Federal Court System ruled that indeed the banks had defrauded the Baskervilles and proceeded to reverse its bankruptcy decision. But when the foreclosed property was not returned, they filed a new lawsuit. Eventually, 23 other farmers, ranchers, and Indians, swindled by the banks in the same manner, would join in the case. 
In these cases, the banks were foreclosing on the properties using fraudulent methods such as charging exorbitant interest, illegal foreclosure, or by not crediting mortgage payments to their account as they should have, but instead would steal the mortgage payments for themselves, triggering foreclosure on the property. After running out of money, they continued their fight without the help of lawyers. With some assistance by the Farmers Union, a new lawsuit was filed against the Federal Land Bank and the Farmers Credit System. The District Court ruled in their favor and ordered the banks to return the stolen properties with help from either Federal Marshals or the National Guard. But when no payments were made, the Farmers declared involuntary Chapter 7 bankruptcy against the Federal Land Bank and the Farmers Credit System. The banks appealed their case, insisting they were not a business, but a federal agency, therefore they were not liable to pay the damages. So the farmers' legal team adopted a new strategy. According to the Federal Land Bank's 1933 charter, they are not allowed to make loans directly to applicants, but instead could only back loans as a guarantor in case of default. Because the Federal Land Bank had violated this rule, the farmer's legal team was able to successfully sue the bank for damages. Word of the lawsuit began to spread. The legal team would teach others how to fight foreclosure and to help them file lawsuits as well. Celebrities, such as Willie Nelson, joined in the case and helped raise money during his Farm Aid concerts. Here is a short clip of Willie Nelson describing in his own words the series of events leading up to the Farmer's Claims legal case. This whole thing started when agriculture collapsed. He was saying that the housing, the housing thing came second. T tell us about it. Well, you know, I've been in Farm Aid a long time and yeah. I, I've been seeing it's 8 million family farmers leave the farm. And uh, there, there was eight million, and now there's less than two million, losing three to five hundred a week. The reason they're going is because they're going out and taking the land back, and now they're taking the houses back that they sold. I mean, they told the farmer to plant, you know, fence post to fence post. We'll take care of you, buddy. Loaned him more money than he can pay back, and then he wound up losing his farm. Yeah. Same thing happened to the house owner. Loan him more money than he can pay back. Now, the next thing you know, uh, the government's got all the land, all the money, and we just give the asshole six, seven hundred million more dollars, billion more dollars. The Baskerville case had now become the farmer claims class action lawsuit. Worried about the legal ramifications, the government retaliated against the farmers by hitting them with either outrageous IRS fees or by imprisoning the legal team under frivolous, non-related charges. When the farmers realized they were being unfairly targeted, they had military generals, such as General Roy Swassinger, sit in the courtroom to make sure the bribe judges would vote according to constitutional law. The farmers now, with a large team of knowledgeable people with the law behind them, filed a new case to claim additional damages from the fraudulent lending activities of the farmers' credit system. The government tried to settle, but they had already lost many cases and were now losing the appeals as well. More and more evidence was collected. According to the National Banking Act, all banks were required to register their charters with the Federal and State Bureau records. But none of the banks complied, allowing the legal team to sue the farmer's credit system. Not only was the farmer's credit system not chartered to do business with the American Banking Association, but so were other quasi-government organizations, such as the Federal Housing Administration, the Department of Housing and Urban Development, and even the Federal Reserve Bank. The farmers' claim lawsuit was thrown out of court at each level, with the records purposely destroyed. So in the early 1990s, Roy Swassinger brought the case before the United States Supreme Court. 
Some of the content of this case is sealed from public eyes, but most of it can be viewed today. Almost unanimously, the U.S. Supreme Court justices ruled that the Farmers Union claims were indeed valid. Therefore, all property foreclosed by the Farmers Credit System was illegal, and those who were foreclosed on would have to receive damages. In addition, they ruled that the U.S. federal government and banks had defrauded the farmers and all U.S. citizens out of vast sums of money and property. And furthermore, the court ruled the shocking truth that the IRS was a Puerto Rican trust, that the Federal Reserve was unlawful, that the income tax amendment was only ratified by four states and therefore was not a legal amendment, that the IRS code was not enacted into positive law within the code of federal regulations, and how the U.S. government illegally foreclosed on farmers' homes with help from federal agencies. Irrefutable proof was presented by a retired CIA agent. He provided testimony and records of the bank's illegal activities to lead further evidence that the farmer union claims were indeed legitimate. The implications of such a decision were profound. All gold, silver, and property titles taken by the Federal Reserve and IRS must be returned to the people. The legal team sought assistance from a small group of benevolent visionaries consisting of politicians, military generals, and business people who have been secretly working to restore the Constitution since the mid-1950s. Somehow, within their ranks, a four-star U.S. Army general received title and receiver of the original 1933 United States bankruptcy. When the case was brought before the United States Supreme Court, they ruled in his favor, giving the Army general title over the United States Incorporated. Legal action was then passed on to the Senate Finance Committee and Senator Sam Nunn, who was working with Roy Swassinger. I will tell you the price of buying back the United States government, it's $500 million a year. In the early 90s, Newt Gingrich and the Republicans got together. Their plan is now on the street. It's been exposed by Columbia professor. They concluded that they could buy the United States government from school board to state house to White House for $300 million a year, and by golly, they did. With help from covert congressional and political pressure, President George H.W. Bush issued an executive order on October 23, 1991, which provided a provision allowing anyone who has a claim against the federal government to receive a payment as long as it's within the rules of the original format of the case. According to the Federal Reserve Act of 1913, all present and succeeding debts against the U.S. Treasury must be assumed by the Federal Reserve. Thus, the Farmers Legal Team was able to use that executive order to not only force the Federal Reserve to pay out damages in a gold-backed currency, but allow them to receive legal ownership over the bankruptcy of United States Incorporated. To collect damages, the Farmers Legal Team used an obscure attachment to the 14th Amendment which most people are not aware of. After the Civil War, the government allowed citizens to claim a payment on anyone who suffered damages as a result of the federal government failing to protect its citizens from harm or damages by a foreign government. President Grant had this attachment sealed from public eyes, but somehow someone on the farmer's legal team got a hold of it. If you listen to that carefully, it specifies damages by a foreign government. That foreign government is the corporate federal government which has been masquerading to the public as a constitutional government. Remember, this goes back to the Organic Act of 1871 and the Trading with the Enemies Act of 1933, which defined all citizens as enemy combatants under the federal system known as the United States. The justices and farmers' legal team 
recognized how evil and corrupt our federal government had become. And to counteract this, they added some provisions in the settlement to bring the government back under control. First, they would have to be paid using a lawful currency backed by gold and silver as the Constitution dictates. This would eliminate inflation and gyrating economic cycles created by the Federal Reserve System. Second, they would be required to go back to common law instead of admiralty law under the gold French flags. Under common law, if there is no damage done or harm done, then there is no violation of the law. This would eliminate millions of laws which are used to control the masses and protect corrupt politicians. Lastly, the IRS would have to be dismantled and replaced with a national sales tax. This is the basis of the Nassara Law. When the legal team finally settled on a figure, each individual would receive an average of $20 million payout per claim, multiplied by a total of 336,000 claims that are filed against the U.S. federal government, the total payout will come out to a staggering $6.6 .6 trillion. The U.S. Supreme Court placed a gag order on the case, struck all information from the Federal Registry, and placed all records in the Supreme Court files. Up to that point, Senator Sam Nunn had kept the Baskerville case records within his office. A settlement was agreed to out of court and the decision was sealed by Janet Reno. Because the case was sealed, claimants are not allowed to share court documents to media outlets without violating the settlement, but they can still tell others about the lawsuit. This is probably why you haven't heard about this. In 1991, General Lloyd Swassinger went before a Senate committee to present evidence of the bank's and government's criminal activity. He informed them how the Corporation of the United States was tied to the establishment of a new world order, which would bring about a fascist one-world government ruled by the international bankers. So in 1992, a task force was put together consisting of over 300 retired and 35 active U.S. military officers who strongly supported constitutional law. This task force was responsible for investigating government officials, congressional officers, judges, and the Federal Reserve. They uncovered the common practice of bribery and extortion committed by both senators and judges. And every single member of Congress is impeachable for having abdicated their Article I responsibilities under the Constitution and serving as foot soldiers uh, for the President and his mendacious Vice President. The criminal activity was so rampant that only two out of 535 members of Congress were deemed honest. But more importantly, they carried out the first ever audit of the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve was used to giving out orders to politicians and had no intentions of being audited. However, after they were informed their offices would be raided under military gunpoint if necessary, they complied with the investigation. After reviewing their files, the military officers found $800 trillion sitting in accounts which should have been applied to the national debt. And contrary to federal government propaganda, they also discovered that most nations had in fact owed money to the United States instead of the other way around. These hidden trillions were then confiscated and placed into European bank accounts in order to generate the enormous funds needed to pay the farmer claims class action lawsuit. Later, this money would become the basis of the prosperity programs. Despite these death blows, President George H.W. Bush and the Illuminati continued on with their plans of global enslavement. When we are successful, and we will be, we have a real chance at this new world order an order in which a credible United Nations 
can use its peacekeeping role to fulfill the promise and vision of the UN's founders. In August 1992, the military officers confronted President Bush and demanded that he sign an agreement that he would return the United States to constitutional law and ordered him to never use the term New World Order again. Bush pretended to cooperate, but secretly planned to bring about the New World Order anyway by signing an executive order on December 25, 1992 that would have indefinitely closed all banks, giving Bush an excuse to declare martial law. Under the chaos of martial law, Bush intended to install a new constitution, which would have kept everyone currently in office in their same position for 25 years, and it would have removed all rights to elect new officials. The military intervened and stopped Bush from signing that executive order. In 1993, members of the Supreme Court, certain members of Congress and representatives from the Clinton government met with high-ranking U.S. military officers who were demanding a return to constitutional law, reforms of the banking system, and financial redress. They agreed to create the farm claims process which would allow the legal team to set up meetings all over the country on a grassroots level to help others file claims and to educate them about the lawsuit. A claim of harm can be made on any loan issued by a financial institution for all interest paid, foreclosures, attorney and court fees, IRS taxes or liens, real estate and property taxes, mental and emotional stress caused by the loss of property, stress-related illnesses such as suicide and divorce, and even warrants, incarceration and probation could also be claimed. But the Clinton government undermined their efforts by requiring the farm claims to use a specific form designed by the government. This form imposed an administrative fee of $300 for each claim, which was later used in 1994 as a basis to arrest the leaders of the legal team, including Roy Swassinger. The government was so afraid of what they would say during their trial in Michigan that extra steps were taken to conceal the true nature of the case. County courthouse employees were not allowed to work between Monday and Thursday during the course of the trial, and outside the courthouse, FBI agents swarmed the perimeter preventing the media and visitors from learning what was going on as well. Harassment and retaliation by the government increased. Many were sent to prison or murdered while incarcerated. Despite being protected by his military personnel, the Army General, who acquired the original 1933 title of bankruptcy of the United States, was imprisoned, killed, and replaced with a clone. This clone was then used as a decoy to prevent any further claims from being filed. During the first Clinton administration, the military delayed many of Clinton's federal appointments until they were sure these individuals would help restore constitutional law. One such individual who promised to bring about the necessary changes was Attorney General Janet Reno. If Bill and Hillary Clinton come and tell Webb Hubble to tell me to do something wrong, I'm going to say, Webb, I'm not going to do it. In agreement with the Supreme Court ruling on June 3, 1933, Janet Reno ordered the Delta Force and Navy SEALs to Switzerland, England, and Israel to recapture trillions of dollars of gold stolen by the Federal Reserve System from the Strategic Gold Reserves. These nations cooperated with the raid because they were promised their debts owed to the United States would be cancelled, and because the people who stole money from the United States also stole money from their nations as well. This bullion is to be used for the new currency backed by precious metals. It is now safely stockpiled at the NORAD complex in Colorado Springs, Colorado, and four other repositories. 
Janet Reno's actions so enraged the powers that be that it resulted in her death. She was then replaced with a clone, and it was this creature that was responsible for covering up the various Clinton scandals. To keep the Secretary of the U.S. Treasury, Robert Rubin, in line, he too was also cloned. For the remainder of their term in office, both Reno and Rubin received their salaries from the International Monetary Fund as foreign agents, and not from the U.S. Treasury. Despite these actions, the legal team continued on with their fight while managing to avoid bloodshed in a major revolution. After 1993, the farmer's claims process name was changed to bank claims. Between 1993 and 1996, the U.S. Supreme Court required U.S. citizens to file bank claims to collect damages paid by the U.S. Treasury Department. This process closed in 1996. During this time, the U.S. Supreme Court assigned one or more justices to monitor the progress of the rulings. They enlisted help of experts in economics, monetary systems, banking, constitutional government and law, and many other related areas. These justices built coalitions of support and assistance with thousands of people worldwide known as White Knights. The term White Knights was borrowed from the world of big business. It refers to a vulnerable company that is rescued by a corporation or a wealthy person from a hostile takeover. To implement the required changes, the five justices spent years negotiating how the reformations would occur. Eventually, they settled on certain agreements, also known as accords, with the U.S. government, the Federal Reserve bank owners, the International Monetary Fund, the World Bank, and with numerous other countries, including the United Kingdom and countries of the Eurozone. Because these banking reformations will impact the entire world, the IMF, World Bank, and other countries had to be involved. The reformations require that the Federal Reserve be absorbed by the U.S. Treasury Department, and the bank's fraudulent activities must be stopped and payment must be made for past harm. In 1998, the military generals who originally participated in the farmer claims process realized that the U.S. Supreme Court justices had no intentions of implementing the accords. So they decided the only way to implement the reformations was through a law passed by Congress. In 1999, a 75-page document known as the National Economic Security and Reformation Act was submitted to Congress where it sat with little action for almost a year. Late one evening, on March 9, 2000, a written quorum call was hand-delivered by Delta Force and Navy SEALs to 15 members of the U.S. Senate and the U.S. House who were sponsors and co-sponsors of Nassara. They were immediately escorted by the Delta Force and Navy SEALs to the respective voting chambers where they passed the National Economic Security and Reformation Act. These 15 members of Congress were the only people lawfully allowed to hold office in accordance with the original 13th Amendment. Remember, British soldiers destroyed copies of the Titles and Nobility Amendment in the War of 1812 because it prevented anyone who had ties to the Crown of England from holding public office. Nassara is the most groundbreaking reformation to sweep not only this country, but our planet in its entire history. The act does away with the Federal Reserve Bank, the IRS, the shadow government, and much, much more. Nassara implements the following changes. Zeroes out all credit card, mortgage, and other bank debt due to illegal banking and government activities. This is the Federal Reserve's worst nightmare, a jubilee or a forgiveness of debt abolishes the income tax, abolishes the IRS. Employees of the IRS will be transferred into the U.S. Treasury National Sales Tax Area. 
rates of 14%, flat rate, non-essential new items only sales tax revenue for the government. In other words, food and medicine will not be taxed, nor will used items such as old homes. Increases benefits to senior citizens. Returns constitutional law to all courts and legal matters. Reinstates the original title of nobility limit. Hundreds of thousands of Americans under the control of foreign powers will lose their citizenship, be deported to other countries, and barred from re-entry for the remainder of their life, and millions of people will soon discover their college degrees are now worthless paper. Establishes new presidential and congressional elections within 120 days after Nassar's announcement. The interim government will cancel all national emergencies and return us back to constitutional law. Monitors elections and prevents illegal election activities of special interest groups. Creates a new U.S. Treasury rainbow currency backed by gold, silver, and platinum precious metals, ending the bankruptcy of the United States, initiated by Franklin Roosevelt in 1933. Forbids the sale of American birth certificate records as chattel property bonds by the U.S. Department of Transportation. Initiates new U.S. Treasury bank system in alignment with constitutional law. Eliminates the Federal Reserve System. During the transition period, the Federal Reserve will be allowed to operate side-by-side -side of the U.S. Treasury for one year in order to remove all Federal Reserve notes from the money supply. Restores financial privacy. Retrains all judges and attorneys in constitutional law. Ceases all aggressive U.S. government military actions worldwide. Establishes peace throughout the world. Releases enormous sums of money for humanitarian purposes. Enables the release over 6,000 patents of suppressed technologies that are being withheld from the public under the guise of national security, including free energy devices, anti-gravity, and sonic healing machines. I want the American people to know today that I am still committed to working with people of good faith and goodwill of both parties to do what's best for our country. Because President Clinton's clone had no interest in signing Nassar into law on October 10, 2000, under orders from U.S. military generals, the elite Naval SEALs and Delta Force stormed the White House and under gunpoint forced Bill Clinton to sign Nassar into law. During this time, Secret Service and White House security personnel were ordered to stand down, disarmed, and allowed to witness this event under a gag order. From its very inception, Bush Sr., the corporate government, major bank houses in the Carlyle Group have opposed Nassara. To maintain secrecy, the case details and the docket number were sealed and revised within the official congressional registry to reflect a commemorative coin, and then again, it was revised even more recently. This is why there are no public congressional records and why a search for this law would not yield the correct details until after the reformations are made public. You probably never heard of this law due to an extremely strict gag order placed upon politicians, media personnel, and bank officers. Even though Alex Jones or Ron Paul will not tell you about it, the law is still valid. And members of Congress will not tell us any of this because they have been ordered by the U.S. Supreme Court justices to deny the existence of Nassara or face charges of treason punishable by death. Some members of Congress have actually been charged with obstruction we're here to the nation's capital to tell the story that we've got an economic convulsion in agriculture. We've got a lot of broken dreams, a lot of broken lives, a lot of broken families, and we're not going to take it any longer. Minnesota Senator Paul Wellstone was about to break the gag order, but before he could, his small passenger plane crashed, killing his wife, daughter, and himself. 
If fear isn't enough to keep Congress in line, money is. The CIA routinely bribes senators with stolen loot from the bankroll programs. Every senator has been bribed with a minimum of $200 million deposited into a Bank of America account in Canada. You would never hear the media networks report about Nassara. To maintain silence, major news networks such as CNN are paid in the tune of $2 billion annually. Some of this loot is funneled by the Mormon Church in Utah through Senator Orrin Hatch's office in Bank of America. Not only is Congress bribed, but the entire Joint Chiefs of Staff and the upper tier of the government, including the President himself, receives these payments as well. Only the Provost Marshal has the lawful authority to arrest these individuals, but sadly, he won't do his job either. It seems the United States military is full of pencil-pushing politicians who care more about advancement than doing their job. And not surprisingly, much disinformation about Nassara can be found on the internet. Prominent naysayers include Quatlus.com, which is rumored to be a CIA front, Nassara.org, which is maintained by the Bush family, Sherry Schreiner, and various internet channelers receiving their messages from telepathic spooks have all contributed to the confusion. Even the information on Wikipedia is in error. Wikipedia gives you the history of CIA agent Harvey Bernard's Nassara Law. If you look closely, this law stands for the National Economic Stabilization and Recovery Act, which would have made reforms to the economy and replaced the income tax with a national sales tax. This law was rejected by Congress in the 1990s. But there's little mention of the National Economic Security and Reformation Act on Wikipedia or its ramifications. The next step is to announce Nassar to the world, but it's not an easy task to do. Many powerful groups have tried to prevent the implementation of Nassara. The Nassara law requires that at least once a year, an effort be made to announce the law to the public. Three current U.S. Supreme Court judges control the committee in charge of Nassara's announcement. These judges have used their overall authority to secretly sabotage Nassara's announcement. In 2001, after much negotiation, the Supreme Court justices ordered the current Congress to pass resolutions approving Nassara. This took place on September 9, 2001, 18 months after Nassara became law. On September 10, 2001, George Bush Sr. moved into the White House to steer his son on how to block the announcement. The next day, on September 11, 2001, at 10 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time, Alan Greenspan was scheduled to announce the new U.S. Treasury Bank System, debt forgiveness for all U.S. citizens, and abolishment of the IRS as the first part of the public announcements of Nassara. Just before the announcement at 9 a.m., Bush Sr. ordered the demolition of the World Trade Center to stop the international banking computers on floors 1 and 2 in the North Tower from initiating the new U.S. Treasury Bank System. Explosives in the World Trade Center were planted by both CIA and Mossad operatives and detonated remotely in Building 7, which was demolished later that day in order to cover up their crime. Remote pilot technology was used in a flyer event to deliver a payload of explosives into the Pentagon at the exact location of the White Knights and their new Naval Command Center who were coordinating activities supporting Nassar's implementation nationwide. With the announcement Nassara stopped dead in his tracks, George Bush Sr. decapitated any hopes of returning the government back to the people. While CIA agent Osama bin Laden is made into the boogeyman, the country dashed off to fight a war on terror. The events of 9-11 eventually led way to the slaughter of the Iraqi people. To keep the public unaware of the carnage, 
the official death count of U.S. soldier and Iraqi civilians is purposely underreported. Deceased U.S. soldiers are either being dumped into the Persian Gulf or replaced with clones. As of 2009, the total death count of Iraqi civilians now surpasses a staggering 1.6 million people. The same Cook statistics apply to the death totals on the day of 9-11. According to the government, 2,752 people died that day, when in actuality, 30,700 people had died. No one questions the insanely small numbers given out by the government because New York City is a large place. People who have lost loved ones do not make contact with other survivors, so they have no way of knowing how many people have truly died. The Bush family was originally offered $300 trillion to cooperate with Nassara, but instead, they chose to maintain their control over us, so in the end, the Bush family will end up with nothing. The attacks of 9-11 had managed to stop the announcement of Nassara dead in its tracks. Many more attempts have been made over the years, but the Bush family has managed to stop them. These people won't be able to get away with their crimes forever. Little by little, their wealth is being dismantled right before their eyes. Before Nassara is announced to the public, it was stipulated that the original farmer claims must be paid out with a bullion-backed currency issued by the U.S. Treasury. In other words, they cannot be paid in Federal Reserve notes. The $6.6 trillion farmer claims payout is to be distributed in the form of ATM debit cards. Remember, this money will come from the bank roll in prosperity programs. The only catch is, to distribute these funds, they must first be released by the trustees, whose members come from the Clinton, Bush, and Rockefeller families. They are doing everything they possibly can to stop these payouts. One way is to transport the banking documents, which contain instructions on how to access these funds in a never-ending loop, 24-7, between warehouses in Charlotte, North Carolina, and Washington, D.C. The drivers of these FedEx trucks are heavily bribed and many of them are afraid of being arrested by the Department of Homeland Security if they were to actually deliver their payload as required by law. At one point, after the packets were returned to Washington, D.C., President George W. Bush placed them under military guard. Federal judges ordered him to release the funds, but Bush replied, You will never receive these packages. They belong to me. The judge answered, I can do no more. He is the President of the United States. The only option left is to arrest the President, but the police commissioner, Provost Marshal, and the military refuse to help. This cycle has been ongoing for years. The only alternative left is to kill the Federal Reserve System by force. The problem is, George Bush, and now Obama, has threatened to use the dollar as a weapon of mass destruction against the nations of the world to comply with the New World Order agenda. 
Bush once commented, The people will now suffer greatly. The world cannot tolerate this. The dollar must be removed as an international reserve currency and replaced with a new independent asset-based monetary unit backed by precious metals. On December 15, 2006, a meeting was arranged to discuss ways to curtail these criminal activities. Their ranks included representatives from the global family who were enlightened individuals working directly under St. Germain. They include members from the IMF, World Bank, Rothschild family, and key persons from over 48 nations. They agreed to implement three goals by June 15, 2007, that is, to end all war, to actively improve the environment, to actively provide abundance for their people. Those nations which do not keep this agreement will eventually be cut off from the international banking community in order to force them into compliance. On September 19, 2007, a new gold-backed banking system was approved by Congress. On October 19, 2007, at midnight, the U.S. Treasury of the Republic went online with a new global banking system. But this gold banking system is not being deployed because the banks are trying to depose of their worthless derivatives before they get reset to zero when the new gold-backed currency valuations go into force. To improve the stability of the banking system, in 1988, the Bank of International Settlements implemented Basel I, which required banks to hold 6% net capital. On December 1, 2007, this went a step further when Basel II was implemented, requiring all loans to be backed by the appropriate collateral and raise net capital requirements to 8%. The new rules prevent the bankers from collateralizing their derivatives with stolen money from their collateral accounts and prosperity funds. Furthermore, all assets must be valued according to the daily market price, also known as the mark-to-market rule. Any bank which refuses to comply with Basel II will be cut off from international markets, which is why American banks demanded $700 billion from the Trouble Asset Relief Program. If they didn't get this bailout, the banks would have shut their doors, inciting martial law. On June 15, 2009, Basel III was initiated, which goes a step further than Basel II, by requiring the banks to disclose any previously undisclosed junk asset or derivative parked off the balance sheet. Jack Blum has investigated financial fraud for the federal government for over 30 years. He has found that the banks use off-balance sheet financial operations to hide money in places like the Cayman Islands. Uh, if a bank, for example, has done bad lending and they put it in the uh, portfolio of an offshore entity, no one will be able to figure out what that offshore entity is really worth. And it's that kind of transaction that has absolutely disabled the world financial system. I think every bank at this point should be forced to come absolutely clean about how much money it has in these offshore shells of different kinds and how many deals there are hidden in the balance sheet and on the books. Under Basel III, every bank transaction must be disclosed on the balance sheet. But if this was to happen, these banks would become insolvent overnight and would not be able to pass their fake stress test. The Federal Reserve System is fighting tooth and nail to prevent this disclosure because if their $500 trillion or so of derivatives were actually placed on their balance sheet, using the mark-to-market rule, they would be shown to be bankrupt. Some banks are now working to bring about the Nassara mission in the hopes that some of the prosperity funds would trickle into their banks, saving them from closing their doors. But most of the larger banks that are fighting the coming changes will soon be out of business.
They are not informing their employees of the new regulations and thus will not be ready to operate under a gold banking charter. Slowly, the illegal practices of the international financiers are coming to an end. One by one, the major banking houses are imploding right before our eyes. Their train wreck is occurring because these banks are no longer allowed to use assets from the collateral accounts of the global debt facility to back up their loans. This is why we are seeing the derivatives implode. The banks have been illegally using the collateral accounts as collateral for their gold-backed derivatives, bullion certificates, and bonds sold through offshore domiciled corporations. With the new Basel II rules in place, these paper assets have now become worthless garbage, resulting in the massive banking write-downs you see today. According to the Office of International Treasury Control, this over-the-counter derivative market is worth about $3.3 quadrillion, with JP Morgan leading the pack with hundreds of trillions of dollars of derivatives. During the Clinton years, the banking 1 to 10 fractional reserve ratio was increased to 1 to 100. This easy money allowed anyone to get a home loan resulting in the housing sector boom. Since many of these loans were made to risky low-income households, the banks deferred their risk by selling their loan portfolios to investors in a process known as securitization. This occurs when mortgages are repackaged with other mortgages in a giant pool of liquidity which are sold to investors on the global market. These credit derivatives can then be repackaged and leveraged again at another 1 to 100 ratio which is then repeated over and over until there is literally quadrillions of dollars of derivatives floating around in the world's banking system. When housing prices were going up, these derivatives were making fortunes for the banks and the government's offshore accounts, allowing them to buy up assets all over the world with virtually free money. When investors realized these derivatives contained toxic loans, they stopped their buying binge, causing the credit market to seize up, which is why housing prices are in freefall. Because no one wants to buy these toxic derivatives, the banks and government are now in a panic to find other people's money to plug up the holes in their cracking dam. Though some funds have been raised by either selling military secrets to China or through CIA drug running operations, this is nowhere near enough money to prop up a collapsing derivative market. So now, the government is resorting to stealing the money, which is no credible way to run a country. To put a stop to this criminal activity, in December 2009, Interpol was given legal jurisdiction within the US to hunt down and arrest corrupt bankers. April 4, 2008 marked the expiration of the 70-year Bankruptcy Agreement of the United States beginning in 1938. Technically, the bankruptcy began in 1933, but the Supreme Court did not enforce it until the United States became a legislative democracy in 1938. The nations of the world, weary of the shenakery of the Federal Reserve System, knew they had a limited time to foreclose on the United States before the corporate government could extend another 70-year extension of the bankruptcy. Without this protection, the government was now at the mercy of its creditors, who were demanding reforms of the banking system, such as higher net capital requirements found under Basel II. If the United States failed to meet their demands, they would be cut off from international markets. So to raise the funds needed, in August 2008, the U.S. government began shorting the derivative market, causing stock and commodity prices to fall worldwide. But this $20 trillion of wealth was not destroyed. 
Instead, it was transferred into the government's offshore pension fund accounts, of which $5 trillion was moved back into the United States to shore up a collapsing dollar. Soon, this money will run out, leaving the option of either crashing the financial markets once again, destroying what little is left of the American economy, or by printing more money, leading to hyperinflation. But the global family does not want to see a devalued dollar, as 90% of all US dollars in circulation today are held by foreigners, and they have no desire to see their assets evaporate. So they have agreed to back all dollars printed before September 2008 with gold stored in the Philippines at a rate of 1 28th of a gram of gold per dollar. This would serve to curb the inflationary activities of the Federal Reserve and the assets of the hard-working average American. But on the other hand, all derivatives will be valued at one-third of 1%, which is their fair market value, forcing those who own this toxic trash into bankruptcy and finally out of business. On September 30, 2009, the fiscal year of the United States came to a close. Because of the precarious financial situation of the United States and its derivative holdings, the Chinese government reversed its policy of accepting fiat money for repayment of the national debt. So instead, they will only accept gold and silver as lawful payment, as specified in Article 1, Section 10 of the United States Constitution. To meet these new demands, the owners of the Federal Reserve System are scrambling to purchase enough gold and silver, but no one wants to sell them any. While the Federal Reserve System is falling apart, Barry Cerrito continues to block the Nassara deliveries. Even though he never invested any money in these programs, he demands a portion of these funds for himself. In a pattern which mimics the Bush years, the Obama administration continues to make numerous daily attempts to steal the funds. But before he was even sworn in office, in December 2008, Obama tried unsuccessfully to steal $400 billion from the prosperity funds and demanded another 1 trillion ransom for his deed. A week before his inauguration, St. Germain and the global family had confronted Obama about his actions. At that time, Obama agreed to go along with the Nassara mission but soon after reversed his promise and has now solidified his alliance with the Bush-Clinton cabal. Our economy is badly weakened, a consequence of greed and irresponsibility on the part of some, but also our collective failure to make hard choices and prepare the nation for a new age. In March 2009, Obama tried once again to steal over $200 trillion of international funds from the Bank of International Settlements. This money was originally stolen by the Nazis from Holocaust victims and for the past 60 years have been earning interest in secret bank accounts. When Obama was informed that the theft of the international funds was an impeachable offense, he replied, You can't touch me. I'm above it. We knew where it was, so we took it. As the largest holder of the national debt, the Chinese government is now in control of the United States economy, its grain supply, and its communist president, which is why Chinese President Hu does not want to see Nassara announced, otherwise it would negate this cushy arrangement. In May 2009, Obama sought help from the Chinese government to hack into some of the trust accounts overseas. Had Obama been successful, China would have received a $4 trillion payout for the cooperation. Thankfully, the White Knights located the money and is now in a safe place. So who is really benefiting from the Chicago Olympics? Well, Valerie Jarrett's former businesses uh, benefit, Habitat, which uh, manages uh, hundreds and thousands of apartments throughout Chicago, not only on behalf of the government, on, but on behalf of other developers. 
In anticipation of the proposed Chicago Olympics site, Obama had committed to buy several hundred million dollars of property in the surrounding area with borrowed money from the U.S. Treasury. He then promised to pay a huge bribe to the International Olympic Committee using stolen money from the prosperity funds. When he arrived empty-handed after failing to access the accounts, they immediately threw out Chicago out of the running and now Obama is stuck with a bunch of worthless slumland and a huge debt to the U.S. Treasury. In another incident, Obama demanded 58% of the program money to be paid to him in his personal bank account, with the rest of the money to be taxed at a rate of 65%. Both the Queen of England, President of France Nicolas Sarkozy, and German Chancellor Angela Merkel agreed to these terms. And why not? After all, it's not their money they're giving away. The Queen of England has also participated in this sabotage. She has placed secret override codes into these banking computers which allow her ladyship and Obama to move this money around and around until hell freezes over, awaiting the time until they can figure out how to access these funds. To garner the cooperation of Bush Sr. and Obama, the Global Family offered to pay 0.5% for all their fraudulent derivatives and warehouses of stolen loot in exchange for the new gold-backed U.S. Treasury currency. This offer was turned down and a new offer was made at 2.5% with Obama getting 2.5% of that. Even though these percentages may appear to be small, they are based on quadrillions of dollars, so we are talking enormous amounts of money. This offer was also refused, and now they are demanding a 100% exchange along with agreement to escape exposure and prosecution. This offer was flatly turned down. I didn't choose to tackle this issue to get some legislative victory under my belt. And by now, it should be fairly obvious that I didn't take on health care because it was good politics. To pay for the United States health care bill, Obama attempted to raise $44.5 trillion through the sale of a health care revenue anticipation bond in Switzerland with a 35-year term collateralized by the Freedom Bankroll Program. Of this, $42 trillion was to go to Obama personally and the other $2.5 trillion will pay for the government's takeover of health care. The only problem is, Obama had the signatures forged along with a few senior Democratic senators and congressmen who are now demanding his impeachment. When Swiss authorities realized the signatures were forged, they proceeded to turn over the evidence to the International Court of Justice. Obama tried to block this action through an executive order, but no one seems to be paying it much attention. It's not true. The reason Obama wanted $42 trillion is because he has been borrowing money heavily from the banks in order to bribe anyone who dares to oppose him. These loans are collateralized using forged signatures of prosperity program recipients in their corresponding bank trades. This loan money is then used to bribe world court judges to look the other way. But because the white knights are blocking these transactions, Obama is going deeper and deeper into debt. The banks are starting to realize a trap is being set for them, but sadly, it's too late. There is no way they can recover from these mega loan losses. They may think they can simply destroy evidence of these transactions and hope the problem goes away, but luckily, duplicates can be found through state auditors. When Obama is confronted with these criminal actions, his typical response is, as long as I am the president, which would be for another 12 or 18 years or whatever I decide because I am the ruler, you will never get this money and eventually I will get all of it, one way or another. 
When referring to the American people, Obama was quoted as saying, They are scum and trash, and they do not need or deserve this money. One source is even quoting him as saying, I am king, I am God. Obama's arrogance may stem from the plans of George Bush Sr. and the Thule Society to crown Obama as a God King under a thousand year Reich beginning in 2012. For these reasons, the White Knights have ordered Obama to submit his resignation papers if he wishes to avoid treason. But Obama simply laughs it off and replies, You can't charge me. Besides, the House and Senate will never go along with it because they are just as guilty as I am. He then continues to insist the funds are his to do as he pleases, as he is the ruler of this country. The longer Obama remains in office, the closer America teeters on economic collapse. Personal income tax collections are down 40%, and for corporations, 67%. Housing values have dropped 80% in some areas. Farmers are having a hard time getting a loan to plant new crops, which means many innocent people could pay with their lives. While the United States economy implodes, the government continues to borrow trillions of dollars to fund pet projects and bail out failed business models such as GM and Chrysler. The government debts generated from these bailouts are flooding the bond market, making it even harder for the private sector to get a loan to survive. These actions are also hyperinflationary, which would ultimately lead to a collapsing dollar and higher prices for Americans. The banks now fresh with slush money from their bailouts and bonuses could care less if the economy comes crashing down. In December 2008, access to credit card lines was reduced from $5 trillion to $3 trillion. Sadly, this lifeline is being cut off from the American people at a time when they are losing their jobs. In preparation for economic collapse in the New World Order, Obama has now increased preparedness for martial law which under Rex 84 would send millions of patriotic Americans to concentration camps. Should this occur, the White Knights are prepared to take strong actions to protect the American people. Whether the Nasara transition is peaceful or not, God has mandated the common man will not suffer. The Dark Side's plans for mass vaccinations, martial law, or nuclear war will end in utter failure, and those who cooperated with such schemes will descend into the ash heap of history. The peoples of the world are now becoming aware of these grievances. Queen Elizabeth and the Crown of England have both gone too far with their crown power. Third world nations such as Malaysia would no longer allow the International Monetary Fund to rape their assets. African and South American nations, once devastated by the IMF, are now teaming up to create their own coalitions. Attempts by the international banking community to crush the Islamic nations have yielded little results as they continue to abide to the gold standard as dictated in the Quran. China is proposing the creation of a new international reserve currency backed by precious metals, which would operate outside the manipulations of the Bank of International Settlements and the Committee of 300. In addition to the financial reforms, the Vatican has agreed to cooperate with a plan to end poverty and turn the deserts green by allowing the development of forbidden technologies such as free energy. The White Hats and the U.S. Space Command, which operate bases like Area 51, are now ready to release anti-gravity and teleportation technologies, which would make all automobiles and airplanes obsolete. Industries which are expected to vanish completely include petroleum, war, nuclear power, pharmaceuticals, and automobiles. Companies in these industries will receive substantial financial help after Nasara in order to transform themselves for the coming changes. For example, 
The petroleum industry could be turned into a geoengineering industry. The armaments industry could move into space exploration. And car manufacturers could be retooled to produce anti-gravity scooters. The longer these bankers and the corporate federal government refuse to go along with Nassara, the more banking implosions we will see. The world has announced, enough is enough. If you do not behave yourselves, you will be shut off from the international community. Nearly 300 years have passed since the creation of St. Germain's World Trust. The time has now come to herald in a new age of peace and prosperity. We do not want an economic collapse, martial law, or new world order. We want Nassara now.